Blog Talk Radio. Jesus becomes the crux of every man's destiny. The choice is made at the crossroads of Christ, if you will. Choose life or choose death. There are only two choices. The narrow gate, the narrow way, the wide gate, the wide way, that's it. Welcome to Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. Today, John kicks off a study that can help you be sure you're really on your way to heaven. That's the title of his study, The Way to Heaven. As we begin this series, I want to point out that The Way to Heaven 
is one of the most popular series in Grace to Use 50 year history. And as part of our golden anniversary celebration, we're airing one of our top 12 studies each month of 2019. And John, in some ways, the popularity of this one is surprising because this series focuses on topics like the narrow road to salvation, the cost of following Christ, the necessity of obedience. These are not popular subjects. And yet, John, many people have benefited from these sermons. In fact, these particular sermons, I think, have set the course for your preaching ever since you first preached them. Why is that? And why does a hard message like this resonate? Well, first of all, it was that very message that I gave on the first Sunday morning I ever preached right. at Grace Community Church on February 9th, 1969, on that very same passage. I think the reason this message resonates and the reason that it has had so much fruit over the years is because it is the truth and that God just honors it. I don't think there's something natural in human beings that respond to this. The natural man understands not the things of God, their foolishness to him. Um, so there's nothing in the unregenerate person to connect with the truth. But the truth is what the Holy Spirit uses. And the thing that I've always been so concerned about is, if you preach a gospel that is shallow and superficial, you will get a false conversion. You will be manipulating somebody in a false way, and they will be perhaps under the illusion that they were converted when they weren't. And that's the whole point of Matthew 7. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did this, we did that. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. So uh, our Lord said in Matthew 13 that the church is going to be made up of the, the wheat and the tares, and they, they'll be indistinguishable. So I think superficial preaching of the gospel produces false conversion. The deep, true, honest, biblical preaching of the gospel with its high demands and its grasp of divine sovereignty and divine grace is the tool the Spirit uses to convert people. So I'm not going to say that this is a better method that people respond to, because from a human viewpoint, it's not. It's confrontive. It's hard. The way is hard. The way is narrow. Few there be that find it. That's very hard language, but it is the truth, and so the Spirit uses that truth. This series is going to be very effective. I know that because this we have seen God use through the years. It's the series on the way to heaven. Anything more important than that? I can't think of anything. That's, that's everything, the way to heaven. It's a study about salvation, the narrow gate versus the wide gate, building on sand or rock, uh, spiritual truth or spiritual deception, a great series, one of the most popular in all our 50-year history. Do not miss the series on the way to heaven. If you're already on the way to heaven, you need to hear this so you can help others. Yes, so make sure you tune in the next two weeks. You'll see how you, how anyone can know for sure where he will spend eternity. So stay here now as John MacArthur begins his study titled, The Way to Heaven. Open your Bible with me and look together at Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In chapter 7 of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, which began in chapter 5, comes to a great crescendo, a great climax. That climax is stated in these two verses. 
the remainder of the sermon to the end of the chapter simply is an expansion of these two verses. Listen as I read them. Enter in at the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be who go in that way. Because narrow is the gate, and hard is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. That is a provocative statement by our Lord. That is really the point to which he has been driving in all of the first part of this great masterful sermon. He brings the whole thing to the climax of a decision, a choice. Two gates which bring the individual to two roads which lead to two destinations which are populated by two different crowds. The Lord then focuses upon the inevitable decision that has to be made regarding that which he has been saying. Someone has well said that all of life concentrates on man at the crossroads. That's really true. From the time of our life when we are old enough to make an independent decision or any decision, life becomes a matter of constant decision-making. Every single day of our lives, we make decisions about everything. We decide what time we'll get up or if we'll get up in the morning, what we'll eat, where, where we'll go, what we'll do. Constantly, life is a matter of decisions. We just pick roads all the way through life. And so... It is fair to say that life consists of man at the crossroads. Ultimately and inevitably, there is a final choice, a choice that not only determines time, but a choice that determines eternity. That choice is the one to which our Lord speaks in these verses, the ultimate choice. Now, it has always been God's effort to bring man to the making of that ultimate choice, always. There's always an option so that there's always a choice. And the choice that is ultimate is the choice that God is most concerned about. Jesus becomes the crux of every man's destiny. The choice is made at the crossroads of Christ, if you will. Choose life or choose death. Essentially, that's what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 7, 13, and 14. And, beloved, the choice is utterly clear-cut. There are only two choices, the narrow gate, the narrow way, the wide gate, the wide way, that's it. There are no other alternatives, none. Now, let me add a footnote on that. The contrast here, and I want you to understand this or you'll never understand the passage, the contrast is not between religion and paganism. And I've heard so many people use it that way, that the narrow way is the way of Christianity that goes to heaven, and the broad way is the drunken orgy that's going to hell. It is not a contrast between godliness and Christianity and irreligious people, pagan people, openly lewd and lascivious, godless, immoral masses on their way merrily to hell. It is not that. It is a contrast in two kinds of religion. Both roads marked, this is the way to heaven. Satan doesn't mark roads, this is the way to hell. That's not very deceiving. 
It is not a contrast, then, between religion and paganism. It is a contrast not between righteousness and declared unrighteousness. It is a contrast between divine righteousness and human righteousness, between divine religion and human religion, between true religion and false religion. Every man makes a choice, and the choice is this. Either you're good enough on your own or through your system to make it to heaven, or you're not, and you cast yourself on the mercy of God through Christ. Those are the only two systems of religion in the world. Jesus is saying, look, there are two roads marked to heaven. One is the narrow, compressed road of divine righteousness. The other is the broad road of human righteousness. You see, the Jews had taught that they could make it on their own. That's why it was so shocking when the Apostle Paul said, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in God's sight, Romans 3. And Paul said, the law came in order to stop our mouths from any claim to righteousness and to render the whole world guilty before God. The law came to show us our sinfulness. But when self-righteous, ego-centered man saw that he was sinful by the law, he didn't want to face his sinfulness, so he set the law aside, reinvented a new system that accommodated his shortcoming, and then on the basis of the man-made system, affirmed to his own mind that he was righteous. That's human achievement. The Lord's whole thrust in the Sermon on the Mount is to break the back of that kind of a system, to show them that all the way through, that system doesn't make it. The Jews, of course, thought they were righteous. They thought they were on their way to heaven, on their way to the kingdom. But Jesus forces them to rethink and to make a decision and a choice. It's the same choice every one of us has to make as well. Now, as we come to verses 13 and 14, the choice is crystallized. There are two gates, the wide and the straight. There are two ways, the broad and the narrow. There are two destinations, life and destruction. There are two kinds of travelers, the few and the many. There are two kinds of trees, the good and the corrupt. There are two kinds of fruit, the good and the bad. There are two builders, the wise and the foolish. There are two foundations, the rock and the sand. And there are two houses, and there are two elements to the storm that he discusses. In other words, the clear-cut decision is the whole issue at the climax of this sermon. And I repeat... Jesus does not want bouquets for the ethics, and Jesus does not want postponement of the requirements. What he wants is action, response. And he forces us to a decision. And people, I don't think, have really understood this passage. There are four contrasts I want you to see in these verses. Four contrasts. Number one, two gates. Enter in at the narrow gate, for wide is the gate. And then verse 14. Because narrow is the gate. Two times he mentions the narrow gate. Once he mentions the wide gate. Two gates. Only two. Both roads, as I said, point to salvation. Both roads point to God. Both roads point to the kingdom. Both roads point to glory. Both roads point to blessing. Both roads point to heaven. Both roads don't go there. One is self-righteousness. And one is divine righteousness. Before you get on the road, you've got to go through the gate. So the gate comes first. Now let's look first of all at the narrow gate. And this is basically the crux of the interpretation, so we'll spend a little more time on this. I want to just begin to develop 
the concept that's involved in this narrow gate. First of all, the first thing I see as I look at verse 13 is, you must enter. There's a sense of urgency here in this aorist imperative. It demands a point of action right now. Do it now. Enter now. This is the time. This is the moment. This is what God is calling for. You must do this. It is not an option. It is a command, an absolute command. Now, the Lord Jesus had been teaching them a very narrow way of life. Their way had all kinds of tolerance for sin. They had all kinds of laws beyond the law of God. They had all kinds of standards beyond the standards of God. They had invented a system that was man-made and far-reaching, and all of these kinds of things were part of their system. And Jesus said, you've got to get rid of that. You've got to get rid of that. This is what it is. This is what it is. And he narrowed it and narrowed it and narrowed it down until by the time he came to chapter 7, verse 12, he had presented to them a very refined and confined approach to living to the glory of God. And they got the picture that it was a very narrow, prescribed way. You cannot enter the kingdom, he says, unless you come on these terms, abandoning your self-righteousness, seeing yourself as a beggar in spirit, as mourning over sin, as meek before a holy God, not proud and boastful, as hungering and thirsting for righteousness, not believing you have it. You have to enter his, on his terms. Hell will be full of people who admired the Sermon on the Mount. You must enter. Second point. You must enter this gate. You must enter this gate. Enter in at the narrow gate. He says there's a wide gate, but he doesn't tell you to enter that one because it leads to destruction. You must enter. You can't stand out and admire it. You've got to go through, and if you're going to be in the kingdom, you've got to go through this gate. Now, that's very narrow, isn't it? I mean, that's very prescribed. People say, you know... Uh, Christianity doesn't give room for anybody else. That's exactly right. We don't do that because we're selfish or because we're proud or because we're egotistical. We do that because that's what God said. If God said there were 48 ways to salvation, I'd preach all 48 of them. But there aren't. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be, what? Saved. None other name. Jesus, Acts 4.12. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. Anybody who comes in any other way is a thief and a robber. John 10. There is, 1 Timothy 2, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Only one, no other name, Christ and Christ alone. It is that narrow. It is that prescribed. There are no alternatives. You must enter by an act of the will and an act of faith. You have to enter on God's terms through God's prescribed gate. And Christ is that gate. He is that way. And holy God has the right to determine the basis of salvation, and he has determined that it is Jesus Christ and him alone, and that's the way it is. Thirdly, you must enter. You must enter the narrow gate, and you must enter alone. You must enter alone. I see this as implicit in the text. If you study the term narrow, you get the idea that it is a very narrow gate. In fact, many commentators would say that the best expression of this in a contemporary way would be a turnstile. 
one of those things where you have to go through all alone. The metal is very close, and there's a little arm there that you push and you go through. That's the way it is with a narrow gate. You don't come to the kingdom of Christ in groups. The Jews believed, hey, we're in the kingdom. We're all on the road together. We all came through together based on Abrahamic heritage based on Jewish ancestry, based on circumcision. We're all here together. And I think there are people who think that they're on the right road to heaven. They got on when they got to church. They came to church. We're all in the church, and the whole church got on together. There are no groups coming through the turnstile, folks. You go through all alone. Salvation is individual. People have never been saved in pairs. Oh, when one believes, it may influence another to believe, but everyone's salvation is exclusive and intensely personal. It admits only one at a time. And that's kind of hard, you know, because all our life is spent rushing around with the crowd. All of our life is spent doing what everybody else does, being a part of the group, being a part of the gang, being a part of the system around us, being accepted. And all of a sudden, Christ says, you're going to have to come, and you're going to have to come through this deal all by yourself. And to a Pharisee, that meant you're going to have to say goodbye to those people and that system and step out alone. There's a price to pay, a real price. It isn't enough to claim your Abrahamic ancestry. It isn't enough to go back to your circumcision. It isn't enough to say, I was born in a Christian family. I've been in the church all my life. You don't come into the kingdom in groups. You come in an individual act of faith. You must enter. You must enter the narrow gate. You must enter alone. Listen to this one. You must enter with great difficulty. With great difficulty. Now, I know that shocks some people. Because we hear all the time that getting saved is easy. All you have to do is just believe, sign the dotted line, walk the aisle, raise your hand, go to the prayer room, whatever. And we have made it easy. The only thing is when we get done, the people aren't on the right road because they didn't come through the narrow gate. Now, without shocking you too much, I believe it's very, very difficult to be saved. Did you hear that? Let me show you why. It says at the end of verse 14, regarding the narrow gate and regarding the narrow way, Few there be that what? Find it. The first implication is that you're not even going to know it's there unless you're what? Looking. The Old Testament prophet said, you'll find me, says God, when you search for me with all your heart. I don't believe anybody ever slipped and fell into the kingdom of God. I don't believe it's easy. That's cheap grace, easy believism. That's the revivalist approach. Raise your hand and walk the aisle, sign the card, and you're in. Well, I believe. I believe in Jesus. Fine, you're a part of the family. Few there be that find it implies that you've got to look for it, but you have to search for it. Let me take it a step further. Look with me at Luke 13, and I'll show you a verse that will really shock you. Luke 13. As Jesus, in verse 22, was going through the cities and villages teaching, he came toward Jerusalem. As a result of his ministry, it was apparent to the people with him that not everybody was responding as they thought they should. It's always hard for us to understand why people don't respond to Christ. And so one of them said to him in verse 23, Lord, are there few that be saved? I mean, it was his observation that not many people responded. Lord, is it just a few 
And he sent unto them, and he gave them the answer to the next question, the one they didn't ask. The, the first question's answer was yes. The next question would have been why, to which the answer would be because you must strive to enter in at the narrow gate. And the word strive is agonizomai, from which we get to agonize, which is used in 1 Corinthians 9.25 of an athlete agonizing to win a victory, which is used in Colossians 4.12 of laboring fervently, which is used in Paul's letter to Timothy in the idea, chapter 6, verse 12, of fighting. In other words, the Lord says it is an agonizing, it is a warfare, it is a fervency that is demanded, a striving to enter in at the narrow gate. And there are many, as opposed to the few, who will seek to enter in but won't be able. Now watch this. It's difficult to get saved, Jesus says, number one, because you've got to be seeking. And there are maybe many who are seeking, but when they find out what it costs to strive to enter, they're not willing to do that. That's a very strong statement. That's Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. The goal of today's lesson, to help you know whether or not you're on the way to heaven. That's the title of John's current study, The Way to Heaven. Keep in mind, this series is available in a five-CD album. And during our current sale, the CDs are 25% off the regular price. So pick up a copy when you contact us today. To order the five-CD album, again, it's 25% off the regular price. Call 800-55-GRACE or order The Way to Heaven online at gty.org. Or if you prefer to listen to this study on your smartphone, all five messages are free to download at gty.org. Now, let me mention a few more Bible study tools that are currently available at 25% off the regular price, starting with Grace to Use flagship resource, the MacArthur Study Bible. It has 25,000 footnotes that explain virtually every passage of Scripture. You can also get any volume in the MacArthur New Testament commentary series or any of John's books, including The Gospel According to Jesus. To take advantage of this sale, go to our website, gty.org, or call 855-GRACE. Now for John MacArthur and the entire staff, I'm your host, Phil Johnson. Thanks for being here today. And make sure you tune in again next week. John's going to show you how to make sure your beliefs are based on the Bible. That lesson is part of his current study, The Way to Heaven. Join us as we continue celebrating 50 years of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Grace To You Weekend. Hi. Hi. Uh, thank you for some tributary. I just realized, I think, I'm not sure if it's true yet. I have to check. Um, that the theme song was muted a while for that, so if that was true, sorry about that. If not, oh, then it's okay anyways. Either way, God's in control. And thank you for listening to the Truth Told Review. And now I've got Shannon Random Thoughts 3 for you. Here you go.
Oh no, the song's gone. Sorry if it's not. I didn't sound she's coming through. Well, a lot of things go wrong today. <laughs> oh, this is one of, one of those kind of days for the show. Here's Shiloh one day.
And this to you, I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions, billions of years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the How you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence You are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance You sent Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man According to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan I've changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us All that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust Shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was As long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean, but my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the same. Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change, forever you reign, you remain the same, you will never change, you will never change, immutable, beautiful, you never change, never About my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies. Still, you pursue relentlessly. At times, I wonder how this can be. Surely, it's because of the cross. When Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of sin's great cost. I'm saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust He died. So, even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished, that cannot change. And with this knowledge, I am free. Forever, this grace, it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was. Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean, but my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the same. Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change, forever you reign, you remain the same. 
up to everyone, no matter who it is. What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few. Even no experience to tell you that it's true. On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist. Wisdom, the sound of the stages, resounding for ages. The older I get, I notice it. The whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages. A holy writ, not the cash speech of the reverend. But what a man sees under heaven. Ecclesiastes 111. No matter who you are, death aims to stop you. Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra. Before your time is done, meet the timeless one. The dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun. King Jesus astounds and amazes. He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages. So let us praise the one who made the Everglades. Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never fade. Never fade. Never fade.
Bill and Goldfish with Michael Cuss. And that is, uh, the website is uh, goldfishguys.com, G-O-F-I-S-H dot, let me see, G-O-F-I-S-H-G-U-I-S dot C-O, goldfishguys.com. And next, we have another one by Goldfish. This one's called Low Road Cross here on Truthy Tori.
old, old story of Jesus and His love.
You can find our website at truthbetoldradio.com. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-E-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O dot C-O-M. Truthbetoldradio.com. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as Truth, the letter B, then Told Radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is Truth, the letter B only, not B-E, Told Radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M. Smilesandstuff.com. So stay social with us, and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. Got the truth, so we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest group of Christ. Put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crashing our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to fetch cash from the furnace. To Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the seed that was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the greater ambient. Came a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts easily posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority, so we both in a He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer, no God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time in the scripture, what you get is a prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night, and his bright in the might, and a dominant mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the loss that he found, though, he was tamed and flossed all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the crown. Yo, Satan had a strict hold on him, fighting for the rope, but doping in. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the N, that's what we hoping in. Risen on his spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hell bound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born. I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout. I was spot with a price. We gotta hope it won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth sinking. We are clinging to the promises of God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly. Proportionate, everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He 
Jesus is the most excellent one. Intrinsic, infinite son. Preeminent, the name par excellence. Prenom, phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon. You see the fiber of cosmology. The abba of astronomy. He's potter. We are pottery. It's shocking. Jesus died for me. The father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey. From sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrected bodily apocalyptic prophecy. He's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't acknowledge him properly. You ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent. It's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment. Study the development from Old to New Testament. You'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age. It's relevant. Crisis on its center stage. Forget religious sentiments. The center on man. But something less is what you're settling. He is the most excellent. Exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance. Yeah. The sin of sinners that separated and segregated. That severed the relations between man and his maker. And placed Christ on his costly cross. And compensated his life, death, and resurrection. Emancipated and gave us freedom from it all. Freedom from the effects of the fall. Freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and from the law. So the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause with hands raised, praising his name, singing glory to God.